0: Love getting prices that are lower than low on food that's fresher than fresh? Then shop at Kroger. We give you more ways to save on the fresh you love with tools like the Kroger app, where you can find personalized coupons on top of weekly sales, giving you prices that are lower than the everyday low.
1: Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's the big $10 sale, so mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even ten for ten dollars with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. For more information on the X Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xcbn.net. Welcome to Know the Name, Know the Genius in
2: You where we explore how a variety of people in various fields have found and then capitalized on their interests whereby they found where their genius lies. Albert Einstein once said that everybody's a genius. Why would one of the smartest people on the planet declare that everyone is a genius unless he knew that to be true? I'm Sharon Lynn Wyeth and in each weekly show you'll hear the fascinating ways other people discovered the genius in them and what they were able to accomplish. At the end of each show, you'll hear clues on how you can recognize your own innate genius. All over the world, people have many, many diverse interests. And in that vein, people have written to our show's producers and asked about different occupations and areas of life that have highly interested them. People want to know how highly successful people have managed to achieve their genius mindset by utilizing the gifts that come in their name, utilizing Namology Science. Some of the letters asked about UFOs and how anyone would get into that field and, if in that field, what caused and influenced them to go in that direction. One of the topmost people, according to research by our producers, who stands out in the UFO field and who is well-recognized and respected for his work around the world is Michael Horn. So we invited him to join us. Michael Horn is the authorized American media representative for Billy Meyer, a reclusive man living in a rugged rural area of Switzerland who claims that his still ongoing UFO contracts with the plajaran extraterrestrial human beings began in 1942 when he was only five years old. Horn immediately makes distinctions between what he calls the fabricated stories of UFOs, which can be highlighted in the tabloids, to what Billy Meyers' contacts have been. According to Michael, Billy's contacts have been scientifically proven as they are the only substantiated contacts. He believes that Meyers' UFO contacts have been suppressed so that people are not informed about the most important story in human history. Many people don't know that his clear daytime UFO photos, films, sound recordings, and metal examples have already been authenticated by scientific experts. But while Myers' hundreds of examples of still irreproducible physical evidence establishes it as the only authentic UFO contact case, Horn claims there's an even higher standard of proof. Billy Myers has published volumes of the most specific Prophetically accurate science information in history. We can take the UFOs out of the equation entirely, and we're faced with Meyer's ironclad information that preempts official discovery, often by decades, said Horn, and his warnings about geopolitical events are equally, as well as often disturbingly accurate. We'll be discussing some of these things tonight. Michael is the producer and director of the new Billy Meyer film, When Truth Prevails, along with many other films, which have won multiple awards. The final English translation of Talmed Emmanuel has just come out, which chronicles what has been told to Billy Meyer about what really happened 2,000 years ago. Michael's very eclectic background includes being the designer, creator of the still popular fashion fad, Fingernail Art, which was featured in Harper's Bazaar Magazine, being one of the first creators of digital online book publishing, better known as ebooks, and being a prize-winning painter, as well as what we're going to discuss today, his scientific research, which garnered him awards as a film writer, director, and producer. Michael Horn is well-known both nationally and internationally, as he has been given lectures around the world. We are so pleased to have him with us here tonight. Michael, prior to starting our actual interview, I'd like to share some of what your name says you're here to do and talk a little about how you've gone about accomplishing what's indicated in your name. Albert Einstein stated that he felt everyone was a genius. Your name indicates that you are doing your best work when you are working for yourself and not under someone else's direct supervision as you're self-reliant and self-directed. Your name also indicates that you Take what you like to the extreme, which could account for your numerous awards in the various areas. You have a strong sense of self, which enables you to keep going, even when most would wish you'd be quiet or just go away. Your name also indicates that you have a tendency to do things the hard way. Yet sometimes that's the only way open to getting things done. The most obvious part of your name is your last name of horn. It literally means blowing your horn getting other people's attention, and keeping it. And you've certainly done that in the case of Billy Myers, as most of us Americans would not even have heard of Billy had it not been for you. So welcome to Know the Name, Know the Genius in You, the radio show, Michael.
3: Thank you, Sharon. I guess I should say goodnight. That's so (laughs) comprehensive there. (laughs)
2: Well, what we'd all like to know first is how you separated yourself from doing a regular job and decided to pursue Billy Meyer's account of his encounters with UFOs.
3: Well, you know, something you said in the description, I mean, I was listening to that thinking, gosh, what do I want to be when I grow up? You know, um, I never really uh, I I never had a regular job in the sense that I was hired. I come in from nine to five in my whole life. I think starting from teen years on, I did that for something not in excess. Completely for okay. two.
2: Years. Stay tuned. We're keep that thought. Know the name. Know the genius in you. After the break, we'll find out why Michael decided to dedicate his life to educating others about Billy Meyer's work.
5: Aloha, and I'll see you in mystical Maui.
2: Welcome back. I'm Sharon Lynn Wyeth, and you're listening to Know the Name, Know the Genius in You, our guest tonight is Michael Horn, and right before the break, we were learning how Michael never did have a, what we would call a regular job. He was always doing things a little bit different. Would you please continue with your story?
3: Sure. Uh, I was a uh, kind of a late bloomer, so I really hadn't done anything very disciplined other than you know my own self-discipline with art and music, and, and up until the age of 27, 28, uh, at which point I'd become homeless and uh it started life all over again somewhere in that time period and i started at the very very bottom with menial jobs like uh you know dishwasher bus boy worked for a printer i actually had a brief nine-day stint in a pornographic bookstore in times square in about 1970 or so sixty nine or 70 and i worked in a deli and i worked in a House of Pancakes, but these were all very, very short-term things to get, you know, I was kind of getting into the workaday world and it wasn't until I was about 32 that I, uh, you know, proceeded farther, I created a little um, studio for doing artwork with my wife at the time and then uh, she became very ill, left the family, I suddenly had to do whole other things to raise my child so I I became an independent salesperson for water filters. Nobody was doing that in about 1980 or whatever it was. And uh, I pioneered that into setting, you know, like unique applications for Starbucks all over the world and and famous restaurants like Wolfgang Puck and big hotels and what have you. And then – uh, when that was coming to an end, and I came up with the idea for ebooks, I had already, as you mentioned, created fingernail art, which wasn't financially rewarding because I was way too ahead of the curve on uh, decals and things like that. So I was always just, you know, creating these things independently. And during the time from about 1979 on, I had found the Meyer material and was beginning to look at any and everything over the next several years that would you know that was available and i then in 1986 met a guy who was representing Meyer case named randy winters he mm-hmm. and i made a film together called the pleiadian connection because we both knew the material i was his opening act because another career i had was doing new age comedy and new age comedy music i was his opening act as i also had been for people like harvey and Marilyn diamond who had the fit for life nutritional program back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, mid 80s. Uh, So I would watch Randy's presentation. I noted things that didn't seem to be absolutely accurate to me and I decided to do my own presentations which he actually helped me with. It was very nice. Beginning in 1988 after our film The Pleiadian Connection was out, I was out making presentations in LA and Hawaii and things like that. And It's just evolved since then. So I've made about a half a dozen different films and Uh, I've lectured, you know, in London and uh, Amsterdam, Australia, Hong Kong, uh, Hawaii, Canada, you know, lots of places. Rob and I met up in Canada when I was up there some time ago. So I just self-created all these things through the intention to do a thing that is to bring this material to the world. And it turns out that the way I did it is very consistent with the essential teaching in the Meyer case about the might of the thoughts, how we do create our own lives and destinies. And I've also created two independent uh, different uh, therapeutic processes, both of which I've done on and for therapists, one of which I was taken to Europe by a consultant to Princess Diana to teach to governmental and, and business people in Europe. So I've been all over the place with stuff. That I just create, you know, and uh, if I really believe in it, yeah, like you said, maybe the hard way, I just go for it. And on top of that, I've written songs since I was 17 years old and still do, and it it kind of goes on and on.
2: Well, when did you decide to dedicate your life to getting Myers material out to the public instead of just keeping it for yourself?
3: Well, I started doing that, as I said, in 1988, because I had seen that the material was being represented in a way that wasn't, as far as I concern, I was concerned, fully uh, accurate. And I did have Randy's, uh, you know, assistance to launch my own little mini project of lecturing on the Meyer case. In 2000, I went to meet Billy for the first time. Uh I was in Switzerland. That was the first of my 17 trips to Switzerland. In 2004 is when I asked them if I could you know, officially represent the information, Billy's work, uh, just the way they want it and publish it under certain conditions, which would be that I'd still be free to be independent my own you know, thinking about it. If I didn't know something was true, I wouldn't have to say it was. If I didn't agree, I could disagree. And that we wouldn't pay each other anything. It would just be done voluntarily. And, and that's what we did. And I'm in my second uh, seven-year contract doing that. And I try to be very, very careful so that what they're publishing, I bring to the world. I do my own blog. I've got almost 600 uh, separate, you know, articles on my blog. I've got a website with hundreds and hundreds of documents on it. And I do, you know, as, as you know, Sharon, many interviews and presentations whenever possible. I am, I like to call it persona or rotten in the UFO community because they don't like that I come on and state the factual truth that the Meyer case is the only scientifically authenticated, proven, singular. authentic. UFO contact case, and the rest of it is all anecdotal, and most of it's disinformation out there. So I don't pull punches, which means I don't get all that many uh, presentations at UFO events, which isn't really where I need to do my presenting anyhow. And I've had two recent historic presentations at an American university, NAU, several years back. I did three presentations in Canada, Canadian universities, in addition to lectures at, you know, expos and events in Canada. So I just keep on ha- hammering away at it and uh, everything now that I do very is pretty much related to the Meyer material to its warnings for humanity of uh, you know what we're bringing down upon ourselves its recommendations as to how to course correct and the information the scientifically accurate prophetic information the world event information all of this stuff and to me I really should have said this at the beginning, if I may, Sharon, it's like this. The confirmed existence of extraterrestrial life would be the single most important discovery in all of human history exceeded only by contact with such a race. That is what the Billy Meyer case is. There is no other contact, no other Case that we can really call you know authentic ufo contact case so that's why i'm adamant about it that's why i'm willing to stand up for it because i feel it's that important to
2: us well i know that ark buchwald in one of his famous columns wrote this column that literally said there is no life on earth and he Uh wrote it all as if he was an alien looking down and one of the things he said is there's these little metal things that go running along pathways and keep bumping into each other. So it'd be really dangerous to land or to go anywhere because you're going to get hit by one. And he really looked at our everyday life and wrote this beautifully humorous column on why there couldn't possibly be life on earth.
3: Oh,
2: and that's about the same time that you said you took your first trip to Myers. I'm really curious on what your first impression of him was. And for our listeners who don't know Billy Myers, If you could give us just a really brief synopsis of who he is. Sure,
3: I'll start with who Billy Meyer is. Billy Meyer is a now seventy-nine, almost eighty-year-old man. He has one arm. He lives in the you know rural highlands there above Zurich, and about forty-five minutes outside of Zurich, in a rural area, rugged you know, full seasons, cold winters, lots of snow, the whole thing. He claims that since he was a five-year-old boy in 1942, that he's been having voluntary wide-awake, face-to-face meetings with human beings from another star system. That these were and are benevolent people who themselves have gone through countless millennia of evolution out of their own Uh, Violence and craziness and warlike behaviors and evolving to become true space travelers as human, you know, real human beings fully developed and evolved in consciousness. We would call it, you know, we use the term spiritual a lot. And in their case, it may be so. For us, it's still just to evolve our consciousness. So he claims that he's been meeting with these people, that they've taken him uh, on vast journeys to the depths of space, places our telescopes haven't even yet seen. He's brought forth information from them on a consistent basis in over 660 of what are called official contacts. And what that means is he's had these conversations With these people since childhood, but beginning in 1975, although all conversations were indeed recorded by them, and we have access to some of the earlier ones, it wasn't until 1975 that he had what, uh, you know, were called the official contacts, meaning that the information and the f- photographs and other physical evidence were meant to be presented to the world so that we could begin to comprehend that we are not alone, that there are truly highly evolved, intelligent, space-traveling races, and that one of them has actually been contacting people, very specific people only, on our world – for thousands of years, and for the purpose of trying to bring to us the what's called the true ancient spiritual mm-hmm. teaching of this universe, We're belief-free, no religion, nothing about that, just teaching, and that this spans thousands of years through other prophets before Meyer, and that, of course, is usually a very thankless job while you're alive. People try to do you in all the time. So... This whole connection, this this man has had this connection for 75 years to these people. And my first impressions of him were, it was very unusual for me because you hear about this man. So I meet him literally as, almost as soon as I got to Switzerland. Another friend from Texas and I had met in New York, flown over on the same plane. We put our bags up in the hotel bed and breakfast. Really, we walked over to the center. From there, which was just down the road. And as we're walking towards the main house, where the center is and where Meyer lives, Billy kind of bursts through the door with his, uh, you know, big ample keychain on his belt on his blue jeans with his plaid work shirt on, with uh, some books under his what remains of his left arm that he lost. And he comes out and he extends his hand and says, hello. And my friend Mark says to him, Billy, I just want to thank you on behalf of all humanity. He goes into one of these big Texas presentations and Billy stops him and simply says to him, that's all right, Mark. Never You know, thank you. It's my duty. And then he smiled at us and went on his way. And that stuck with me because I in, in my homeless period when I was just. Completely, you know, homeless in New York City and LA for a while and trying to rediscover everything and meaning in life. I I kind of came into a a system, the I Ching. I I was fascinated by the philosophy in the I Ching. And one of the key things that's embodied in that teaching, which is an interesting blend of Confucianism and Taoism and all that, it's kind of nice, is that to do one's duty is the highest.
2: And, and to do one's duty is very important. Stay tuned to know the name, know the genius in you. After the break, we'll find out about the sound recordings of actual conversations between Myers and the Plajarin Federation. Mm-hmm.
1: Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365.
2: Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything?
1: I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Welcome
2: back. I'm Sharon Lynn Wyeth, and you're listening to Know the Name know the genius in you. Our guest tonight is Michael Horn. In 1979, Meyer sent Marcel Vogel, a chemist working at IBM, crystal and metal samples Meyer claimed to have received from the plajoran. Vogel examined these samples with a scanning electron microscope and reported, and I quote, when I touched the oxide with a stainless steel probe, red streaks appeared and the oxide coating disappeared. I just touched the metal like that and it started to deoxide and become a pure metal. I've never seen a phenomenon like that before. End of quote. Vogel also claimed that another metal sample he examined contained nearly every element in the periodic table stating, again, I'm quoting, each pure element was bonded to each of the others, yet somehow retained its own identity. End of quote. At 200... 2500 times magnification vogel claims the sample was again quoting metal but at the same time it is crystal a piece of text transcribed from a video file from the interview of vogel goes it's a very unusual combination from a metallurgical standpoint i've shown these to metallurgicals and they shake their heads The most unusual thing you will see, purity of these metals and adjacency to one another without their cross-contamination. They're very sensitive to marking. As soon as I've exposed them to intense light from my microscope, and metal oxidizes very rapidly and just breaks down. I've never seen that. Okay, Michael, this is curious. Can you tell us anything more about this curious metal as to where and how this metal came about?
3: Well, I can't really tell you too much other than to say from what I recall, these were metal alloy samples that were given to Meyer by the play and he was told that they were representative of different stages in the seven-stage process of manufacture that they go through in order to make the uh, metals for their spacecraft. And um, he still retains some of those Sample pieces, though, you know, not too many. And this was a very unusual thing, clearly, because what we know and notice in this case is that Meyer has what none, none of the other people who go around blathering about UFOs have. And that's actual evidence. He, in addition to these metal alloy samples, which... Uh, you know, there's a whole film that was done on them by the original investigators. In in addition to that, Meyer took over 1,200 clear, primarily daytime, UFO photos, films, and a video. He recorded the sounds of the spacecraft on four separate machines. And, you know, these were analyzed and authenticated as well. They were basically deemed to be irreproducible with synthesizers. And all of this goes back to the pre-computer, pre-digital era. So Meyer was presenting all of this technical and technological evidence that nobody could reproduce, and we didn't even have Photoshop and computers, nothing that he could have been tricking us on. So the physical evidence part of the case is fascinating. There's no
4: doubt about it.
2: Well, on April 14th in 1976, Meyer claimed to have made a six-minute sound recording of a UFO in flight that was at the same time being pursued by a Swiss Air Force Mirage jet fighter. In your documentary Contact, uh, contact, Wendell C. Stevens and his investigation team received a copy of this controversial sound recording from Meyer and subsequently set it off for analysis to various sound laboratories in the United States. And I have a quote here from one of the sound engineers, as he reported that the Naval Undersea Sound Center in Groton, Connecticut, They first identified all sounds not originating from the target object. Then three conventional aircraft were detected, two of which were propeller-driven. The third was a single-engine jet. Frequency graphs were prepared and a match was looked for in the sound bank archives. The third airplane was a Mirage single-engine jet fighter. No unusual characteristics were detected with respect to the conventional aircraft sounds. Additional background noises detected included a small barking dog, a crow cawing and a European police siren and some clicks and vibrations, possibly the clicking of a shutter on one of the cameras. No match was ever found in the sound bank for the target sounds of the spacecraft in this study. Are you familiar with that recording?
3: I am familiar with it. Um, I only want to correct that. Um, I am not connected with that film Contact that was done, as you mentioned, by Wendell Stevens and Lee and Britt Elders, the three original investigators who we thank for bringing all of this to the world originally. We would not have known about it. But yes, I am uh, familiar with that sound recording. Also, uh, it was two years ago for the first time I met one of the sound engineers himself. His name is Nils Ragnarod, and he was one of the people who worked uh, on the sound analysis, with a, worked with another sound engineer named Steve Ambrose. And I think some of the analysis was done at Excalibur Studios in LA, where I actually had been uh, when I was doing some recording with some people years ago. But they they processed these sounds through the Naval Undersea Lab, through Excalibur, and I think two other labs also. And they found that they couldn't they would not even have been able to duplicate the sounds without using a bank of synthesizers at the time because of the unique way that 24 separate uh, frequencies were simultaneously interfacing and giving rise to harmonics that would produce eight other frequencies, not in the audible range. I mean, you're talking about a man standing out in the field with an Iowa tape recorder with 17 eyewitnesses, including an undercover policeman and impossible to hoax and he didn't so that is among some of the you know certainly more stunning physical evidence it's an amazing amazing thing all of those things
2: well i can see why you find him credible um i understand you have a new book coming out or an updated translation of a previous book called talmud emmanuel could you tell us more about this book that details the life and main characters of two thousand years
1: ago
3: sure thank you uh it's a book that's Of course, I'm only going to be the person that's going to distribute it here in the U.S. and maybe others as well here. But um, this is, I think, the fifth and final English translation and edition of the Talmud Emanuel, which is said to be the original true teaching of Emanuel, the man who got uh, a false identity early in our history. And that false identity, according to the information in this case, is quote-unquote, Jesus Christ, a man who they say never existed. And interestingly enough, there happens to be zero historical record that a man named Jesus Christ ever did exist. Now, considering how important that human being's effect on all of our lives has been, you'd think if there was a person by that name, that we'd have a record of it. Well, the New Talmud straightens out an awful lot of things. You'll, you'll read the real true teaching of this man. Some of the things that are in there are very similar, but with marked differences to the New Testament. You find out that Judas Iscariot was the true scribe, the true friend of Emmanuel. Judas Iscariot was a similarly named son of a Pharisee. He was the one who betrayed the truth here. Which caused, you know, Emmanuel, the man's real name, according to this information, to be turned over for the persecution that he did endure. And the crucifixion that occurred, which, according to this information, he survived. And which led to very interesting things afterwards, including the confusion that gave rise to the so-called resurrection a resurrection being an absolutely impossible thing, according to the laws of physics. We also learned that Emmanuel did not walk on water and he did not raise the dead. The many healings that he participated in were done primarily through basically a couple of means, one of which was his mastery of herbs and salves that he had been taught by healers in India as well, and that he applied and, and, you know, knew so well that he could indeed bring about wherever possible healings of physical conditions that could be treated that way other healings he was able to evoke in people meaning he could provoke them to heal themselves which is you know we're we're taught is really what needs to be done from here on as well in history while we can help each other we really have to take responsibility for our own healing, all that entails. Well, he was able to uh, in, inspire, ignite that self healing in people through a very deep and penetrating understanding of individuals through his meditative and and skills and disciplines and all that he was taught by the play Aaron Gabriel, who was a contact person for him at that time. And the healers in India, when he was gone for the 40 days and 40 nights, he was being taught by what we'd say were masters, so to speak, in the Himalayas. And in touch with a lot of very profound teaching and information that was part of the true spiritual teaching. Now, you know, Go that's
2: ahead. interesting because in uh, Jesus lived in India in that book. Some of what you're saying, they have documents that are reported in that particular book of Jesus Lived in India that correlate to what you're telling us now. You have a special or something for people that may want this from you. Would you mind telling us about that?
3: Sure. You know, um, if people go to my website, the website is called theyfly.com. If they go to theyfly.com in the middle of the page up at the top, they're going to see an offer about the new Talmud which will officially become available very soon, within days, because we're just waiting for the delivery of books. They come from out of the country. When people order that, they're going to get a free CD included, a $20 free CD along with the Talmud. And the CD is the what's called the Salome Peace Meditation, which is an extremely ancient meditation. In the language that the, the forefathers of the Pleiaren spoke, which is called Lyran or Lyrian. For some people, call it, and that Salome meditation. The words being Salome. Uh, well, before I give the meditation, I, I, I want to just finished the thought. I jump around too much. Otherwise, the Salome peace meditation is very important because it's practiced on behalf of the people of Earth by about three Two million, or pardon me, it's actually billion. I always get that wrong. 3.2 billion extraterrestrial human beings in the federation to which the Playaren belong. That is done on two weekends a month, a total of six times, twice on one day, once on the other. And this meditation is it is said by the Playaren that this meditation, along with all the other, you know, conscious people pushing for peace has pushed back the otherwise looming Third World War now by 20 years. Wow. It also happened, strangely enough, in conjunction with the the election of Trump. A lot of people would be very surprised. We could talk about it if you want. But the Salome Peace Meditation uses these ancient, ancient Lyran words, Salome, Gamnan, Ben-Urda, Ganiba, Asala, Hesperona. And this is done at each person's own pace, quietly, out loud, singing it, speaking it, whispering it, whatever. This CD that you get is nearly an hour long with some wonderful environmental sounds from Switzerland and more about the meditation.
2: That is a wonderful offer. Stay tuned to know the name, know the genius in you. After the break, we'll find out what Michael Horn has in his name that assisted him that you may have in your name as well, along with what Myers thinks of Donald Trump.
1: Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold. Welcome
2: back. I'm Sharon Lynn Wyeth, and you're listening to Know the Name, Know the Genius in You. Our guest tonight is Michael Horn. Right before the break, we were talking about the election of Donald Trump and how saying this prayer... Um, procrastinated or postponed this inevitable or sounding like inevitable war by 20 years. So we're hoping that this is changeable. Could you please address how Meyer foresaw the election of Donald Trump? Um, And I remember reading some commentary that he had said something about that we had a psychopath running against a narcissist. And so what did he see for our future concerning Donald Trump?
3: Well, actually, uh, it wasn't Meyer who made the original comments. It was one of the extraterrestrials named Ta. And it, it was very interesting because Meyer was uh, asking in 2008 who was going to be the Democratic nominee. Would it be Hillary Clinton or would it be you know Barack Obama? And one thing that happens both with the play, Aaron, and with Meyer, when you ask a question, they generally only, only answer the exact question you've asked. They don't go into details. They don't go elaborating. They, um, you know, it's just like even if there was something you'd really want to know connected to it, if you didn't ask, you're just not going to get the uh, the answer, the additional answer you're looking for. So we go back to uh, nineteen no to two thousand and eight. And uh, Meyer asks them, I'm trying to think the exact way he put it, uh, you know, who's going to win it. And so Pata, this extraterrestrial, says to him, um, it's going to be Barack Obama. And then instead of just leaving it at that, he goes on to add about Hillary Clinton that we are fortunate, the world is fortunate that power will not rest in her hands, that she will not come into power. Now, you know that if you are, um, uh, w- w- what's the way to put it, in a primary, power isn't coming into anybody's hands. Only what's happening is that the the person who's going to become the candidate for the, presiden- the presidency is going to be, you know, determined, not the president themselves. So when when he went on to state that Hillary Clinton would not, uh, you know, get power would not be put in her hands and that the world should be grateful for that. Well, that was something that caught my attention, especially in retrospect uh, for this, you know, for this uh, this election. The actual words that he, that he said after he identified Barack Obama as going to be the winner, uh, he, he had said that what, what Meyer stated about Hillary Clinton was true, she was enormously power hungry and she doesn't give up, not, nevertheless she will suffer defeat. Then he says, if she would actually come to power, then the USA and many countries of earth would be heading for a really unpleasant future. However, humanity can consider itself fortunate that power is not laid in the hands of this woman now, however you, however you feel about her in terms of you know politically that's what they were saying and they were very clear to say that the woman is a psychopath is a warmonger extremely dangerous and that fortunately in, in from their perspective we would not have her as the president
2: well so how did, did they say anything about trump positive negative
3: yeah. So here's what happened on, interestingly enough, on November 6th, because Billy had been told in June and he didn't publish. it, They already told him in June who would win this election. But they had a contact on November 6th. And I'll tell you one interesting side note about that, Because, and then I'll explain the rest. November 6th, when Billy was meeting with the people in uh, the player in Switzerland, that was the evening of November 5th. The evening of November 5th, I had a dream. In in my dream, I heard Trump wins the election. And I wrote it down in an email and sent it to myself first thing in the morning so that I have a record of it. Then I found out only days ago that it was on November 6th while I'm sleeping that Billy's being told that Trump wins the election. And basically what they said about him was, well, He's not really a bad person. He's kind of crude and he's you know got things to learn. Uh, he's not a politician, so he's not as dangerous as most politicians. There are areas in which he's clearly off base, such as the environment and health care. And hopefully that will be, you know, it, he'll be educated on that to the benefit of humanity. But there will be very powerful people around him who will try to take him off in their direction, as happened with Obama And basically, these kinds of things mean that their lives at a certain point, it's made clear to them that their lives and their families' lives are at stake if they don't do, as they're instructed by the people who are the real string pullers behind the scenes. Donald Trump will probably shake up a lot of stuff. He will also probably not keep a lot of promises, but certain key things might occur. What they said mainly was that because he is not hostile to Russia— because he's rational and reasonable in those regards, that he will not bring on that third world war as Hillary Clinton would. Now, it remains to be seen if those people who are the string pullers behind the scenes and who want war, which is, of course, would be suicidal for America and the rest of the world, genocidal too, uh, if they will prevail ultimately to force him into conflict or if he'll be able to keep that cooperative so that the U.S. and Russia can cooperate in the very one, very necessary uh, joint project, which is to eliminate the IS, the Islamic State, before it can literally spread worldwide and send us back to the dark ages.
2: Well, we can only hope, right? You have a new film coming out, When Truth Prevails, that was just released. Is Would you tell us about that? And is there anything else that you're currently working on that you'd like to share with the world?
3: Well, yeah, When Truth Prevails is out, but you know, it's actually just a film of the presentation at a university I did when a skeptical professor took four months going over everything I sent him in the Meyer case and finally said, you've got to present this in my classroom, skeptical professor. And by the way, I did my first presentation last November and he sent an email to me because I sent him all of this Meyer material and he said... You know, guess what happened? I said to my wife after the attacks in Paris yesterday, I already knew this was coming. Thank you, Michael, because I sent him Myers' warnings about the Paris attacks that actually originated years and years ago. Um, I have other films. If any of your people decide to buy a DVD of mine, I will send them another DVD free with that one. All they have to do is mention you or the show, Sharon.
2: Oh, that's fabulous. Thank you. Sure. you know, it's it's interesting because he's had so many predictions that have come true um, from reading your material. Would you like to just mention a few very briefly of his fat, past predictions?
3: I mean... There are literally now we've charted over 200 and we haven't found any errors in his prophecies and predictions. When he was 14 in 1951, he published the first warnings about climate change, uh, the ozone damage. From 51 on through the 50s and 60s, he warned about uh, global warming. He warned about the two US Iraq wars. The second one would be led by a president who would be the son of a former president that was, you know, he was foretelling in 58. George Bush, both of them, and their wars in the Gulf, he he foretold radical Islamist terrorism. He foretold that we would launch, you know, have moon landings, but that the first one would be a hoax. Apollo 11 would be a hoax. He foretold that 11 years before it, it happened. He foretold so much stuff here, the Russian military movements, the Ebola epidemic, AIDS by name, plastic credit cards, portable telephones, um it goes on and on, scientific information about every planet in the solar system that he published before we discovered it. This is the most suppressed and important information, in my opinion, in human history. And that's why most people, your listeners, probably have never heard about it. 23 attempts on Meyer's life since the big 40 years ago. Last one was last September of 2015.
2: And what makes you think that he can avoid those attempts? I mean, he seems to have lived through twenty-three attempts. That in itself is remarkable.
3: It is the, the earliest attempts that he avoided. He had the help of the play, Aaron. but after a certain number, they said you just have to, because he's a you know he's an intuitive, powerful, mentally powerful person. You will have to be extremely careful because these will not stop, you know. And so he even has had dream where it foretold an attempt on his life. He put a little uh, agenda book in his pocket with a metal plate in it. And sure enough, later that day, a woman came out of, he took a walk somewhere and he knew he kind of had to do it. And a woman came out of the bushes and shot him point blank there. And she freaked out because it didn't kill him. And then later on, she actually came to apologize to him. And that most of the other people don't show up for that, but he's had all sorts of attempts on his life for 40 years. And, uh, it, it's you know it seems to come with the territory. He survived them, and I've interviewed witnesses to fifteen of them. So it's and I've seen one of the bullet holes through a window too. So you know it's like yeah, that's real.
2: Well, I want to thank you for joining us tonight, Michael. For our listeners, be prepared to see plenty of controversy when you look Michael Horn up on the internet because he has ruffled quite a few people and governments by challenging them to disprove his findings and you can find out more at www.theyfly.com. Michael Horn had challenges of making things harder than they needed to be in his name. That is represented by the CH combination in Michael. For those of you who also have a CH in your first name. Remember to ask yourself if there is an easier way to accomplish what it is that you desire. Remember that often the person who has a CH in their name does things the hard way, so that when the same task comes around again, they remember how they did it last time. As if it was too easy, they may forget what they did that made it so easy. So, when finding a simple solution, write it down. That way, you find the need to make a task harder than it actually is. You'll actually remember how you did it simply the time before. Do you want to know where your genius lies? I'm Sharon Lynn Wyatt, host of the radio show Know the Name, Know the Genius in You.